Good morning. Is on? We're good? Okay. Matt, thank you for, for that intro, and uh, appreciate Matt's encouraging words and his affirmation. What Matt probably didn't share, he certainly didn't share just now, is that he's having a lot of internal struggle with me being up here, a clean-shaven man, <laughs> finally delivering the word um, here at Liberty. I don't know how I got this far. Um, but I'm really, I am thankful to, uh, to, to deliver God's word, and, and uh, really this process of preparing to preach today has, has been a humbling one, and uh, one in which I really felt my weakness, and so uh, relying on, on God's strength uh, to, to speak through me, uh, that it would not be about me, but about God uh, this morning. Um, we're preaching through this summer our Rhythms of Grace um, series. So if you've been with us, you've been hearing us say this term and this phrase over and over, Rhythms of Grace, uh, presenting one at a time our nine, we have nine of them, Rhythms of Grace that we've identified as being central to our three core values here at Liberty Church, worship, community, and mercy. And we've created nine rhythms to guide us um, in the way in which we understand these core values and how we live them out with one another and with our community as disciples here at Liberty. What's helpful to know is that our church leadership, the elders, others in leadership um, that have contributed to this process, um, did not come up with these nine rhythms arbitrarily. It's not as if there was an evening set aside where there were a bunch, dozens of them just thrown on the wall and just darts were thrown, let's see where they land, let's pick nine. Um, instead, it was a really intentional effort um, to, to study and to look at worship, community, and mercy and to dig deeper into if those are our three core values here at Liberty, what are some values underneath them that we can really talk talk about to inform the way um, that we do live as disciples here at this church. Um, and so we, we want to have carefully chosen them and now carefully go through them uh, to present them to each other this summer that they would really become part of who we are um, as a church. And not only that, that, they'd be important to us, but they would be rooted in God's word and in the person of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about being in worship, we talk about how Jesus frees us to love God, and we see this in all of scripture. And so the core values underneath that, the rhythms of grace, we want to have inform us and motivate us, inspire us, connect us to, to loving God. And in community, Jesus freeing us to love each other, that those rhythms of grace would help us do that. And in mercy, Jesus freeing us to love our neighbor, specifically those not in or yet in the household of faith, the rhythms of grace helping us do that as well. Um, and so we desire that these rhythms, as we would become fam more familiar with them, um, would help us experience genuine and holy relationship with God and with one another. And we also want these rhythms to better equip us to be holy disciples of Christ who make holy disciples of Christ. We're starting to use that, that terminology and that phrase more and more because we want it to be true. So for all of us, including myself, we need to commit to making these rhythms important in our daily lives and to keep them from becoming stale or, or yet, you know, worse yet, even taken for granted. We don't want them to just fall behind and have them be things that we would preach through this summer, but then never talk about again after this summer. We want to have been preaching through these this summer, so that, this summer so that moving forward, they do become who we are as a people, um, that people, even when they see Liberty Church, they recognize that we're truthful and honorable to these rhythms. Um, of grace. So again, that we would love God and love each other and love our neighbor. So today, uh, we're turning to relational pursuit um, as the rhythm of grace to understand more. This is underneath the core value of community in that Jesus frees us to love one another. So specifically, relational pursuit is speaking to the way in which disciples of Christ pursue 
other disciples of Christ in relationship. Um, with that being said, if you're here today and you're going, well, I'm not part of liberty or I'm not even sure if, if I actually believe in Jesus Christ yet, I'm not really ready to live this life of faith as you're explaining or as, as I've heard here at Liberty, this message is also for you. The reason it's for you as well as for us in the household of faith and here in covenant membership or in attendance or certainly in faith is because such were some of us, all of us, really, before God pursued us. We were outside the household of faith. And so we were the neighbors to which we want to reach. Now we're in the household of faith. We're in the community that we want to pursue. So if that's not you yet, this is also for you because it was for us prior to us being a people here at Liberty in faith together. So in relational pursuit, if you have, uh, if you, you sort of don't have it now, I would imagine if you do, great job. Um, but if you, if you reference the, the, the rhythms of grace that Matt sends out uh, an email form, the PDF, listing all nine, what it says under relational pursuit is we meet with other people, becoming friends and helping each other to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. We seek to encourage and care for our brothers and sisters in Christ and also to accept their input in our own life. And there's a, it kind of gives an example maybe of how we would do this. It says, there are a variety of venues and ways these relationships can form and deepen in our church. But generally speaking, we encourage you to pursue people across different ages and life stages. Someone who's older and wiser, uh, appears at the same or similar age of life, or a younger person either in faith by age or both. So that's just a how. That's like a recommendation, encouragement for how we can do that, pursue relationship with each other. This maybe is actually the central point. This is maybe a little bit more important. It's the why of what we do and, and, and what we do. Confession of sin and related accountability relationships are included in here, as are the simple pleasures of shared meals, outings, and hobbies with other Christians. Disciples make disciples, and disciples enjoy time and life with other believers. That's what we want relational pursuit to functionally look like in our church, that we would be pursuing relationship with each other, disciples, making disciples, and encouraging each other to live holy and faithful lives. So that's the big idea. And for today, here's how I want us to go deeper in this understanding, that we at Liberty would have a rhythm of pursuit in our relationships rather than just position. You hear the word pursuit and relational pursuit. Let's have a rhythm of pursuit in our relationships and not just one of position. I'll talk more about that throughout. So let's read now from God's word the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. If you have Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 19. Um, If you're using one of the hardcover black Bibles in front of you, uh, it's on page 878. Follow along as I read the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. He, being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up at him and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, that being the people that were witnessing this, they all grumbled, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Bow your heads as I pray for us as we go in today to teach. Lord God, you sent Jesus to seek and to save the lost. God, you rescue your children from sin and death. Deliver this message clearly through me, your servant. 
grow our joy for how you pursue us and equip us to pursue each other. Amen. So our transition points, as we consider relational pursuit and the need not to presume upon position, but rather to pursue, let us see that the example of Jesus and Zacchaeus leads us, disciples of Christ, to see two things and embrace another. To see first that God pursues us, second that we pursue God, and because of that to embrace that we pursue each other. Okay, so God pursues us, we pursue God, and because of that, that we pursue each other. So first, God pursues us. Our pursuit of relationship starts with recognizing that God first came after us. Jesus did not presume upon Zacchaeus' position as a sinful tax collector. Jesus pursued Zacchaeus because of his relationship with him as a true son of Abraham. That is one who lives by faith. Now in Luke, we read from Luke 19, before Jesus arrives to meet with Zacchaeus, we find him traveling on his ministry to Jerusalem. And just before meeting with Zacchaeus, Jesus predicts his death for a third time. And just after meeting with Zacchaeus, Jesus rides, Jesus rides triumphantly into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And the people are chanting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. Now our perspective in time allows us to look back and to recognize that those chanting that day, they probably meant what they said but they didn't really understand what they were saying or how it was that Jesus would actually be the Messiah that they believed him to be. Certainly, there was an unexpected moment coming up where Jesus would die on the cross. It was soon to come, and what Jesus had come for and how peace was to be accomplished was still hidden from the crowd. Our perspective in time, though, also allows us to look back even further and to have these these spirit-awakening moments to recognize why Jesus had come and why death on the cross had to happen and how Jesus would bring peace through that death on the cross. Jesus revealed to himself on many occasions the reasons he came. And one of them was to seek and to save the lost. We read that at the end of Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus. But this was not a new message even to Zacchaeus or to those that, that were listening to it. They didn't li- maybe they had heard it for the first time, but it's not in Scripture the first time. It's not a message that Jesus just made up on the spot or had just revealed. In chapter 15, a few chapters prior, again in the Gospel of Luke, prior to Jesus arriving at Jericho, it starts off with all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was identified as a sinner by the crowd. Sounds like a similar story. And all the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So the same accusation that Jesus receives in meeting Zacchaeus, he had received before. It was familiar for him to receive this. Jesus proceeds in chapter 15 to tell three parables. The parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, or what we commonly refer to as the prodigal son. And at the core and center of each of these parables is a clear picture of, one, the intentionality with which someone undertakes to find something that has been lost, and also the joy that that person takes in finding it. These parables that Jesus tells, they give example to God sending his son Jesus in search of those who are lost, those who belong to God but are lost under the curse of sin and penalty of death. God came after us, not presuming upon our sinful and lost nature as if there was nothing more that could be done for those whom he calls sons and daughters. God didn't even presume upon his own position as a rightful owner of us, his children. Rather, he gives pursuit to us by sending Jesus born among men and women. 
So when Jesus meets Zacchaeus, he strips down all presumptions of positions as well, and he pursues Zacchaeus. Now, yes, when we read Luke 19, we see that Zacchaeus was actually interested in seeing Jesus. And in, in 2014, four years ago, Pastor Matt had preached on this same, these same verses from another helpful and, and truthful point of view, and he rightly identified Zacchaeus as a seeker of Jesus. But in that sermon, Pastor Matt also identifies that Jesus is the more completely and beautifully seeker of Zacchaeus. And we would offer that the same, same message here today. Jesus says to Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. A fair question to ask, and certainly it was asked back then in the criticism that was offered, was why? Why must Jesus stay at his house? And why did it seem as if Jesus had a predetermined plan to meet with Zacchaeus on his way through Jericho? Jesus gives an answer to that question. If we still have it today, he gives that answer. He gave it back then, and it still holds true. Jesus declares salvation for Zacchaeus because he is a son of Abraham. Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost, and Jesus clearly and emphatically identifies Zacchaeus as lost but now found. All of Scripture reveals this same narrative, that God comes after those who belong to him. Jesus himself has said this, says this throughout his entire ministry, not even just here or the other passages that I referenced. In John 10, speaking to the Pharisees, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. In Jesus' words here and throughout all of Scripture, we see God pursuing those whom he calls sons and daughters. So when we men in liberty and children, men and women and children of liberty, see that God does not presume upon our position as lost, as a hired hand shepherd might do, right? If he's in the position of hired hand, he cares nothing for the sheep. He presumes that they're lost. He might even hope that they're lost so he doesn't actually have to put the work in to go find them. Okay, God does not presume upon that for us in our lost and sinful nature. God pursues us to save us. And because of this, we should be filled with joy as Zacchaeus was. And we'll get to that in just a moment. So that is God pursuing us. Second, as we consider relational pursuit, and for the need not to presume upon position, but rather to pursue, let us recognize that the example of Jesus and Zacchaeus leads us to see that we now pursue God in response. Pursuit of relationship is a response of faithfulness in God. Zacchaeus did not presume upon his own position as the supposed son of Abraham. Rather, Zacchaeus pursued God with a response of faithfulness, a response that Jesus sought. So first we saw that Jesus pursued Zacchaeus, and now we see Zacchaeus pursuing God with a response of faithfulness. For the Jewish people, being a son of Abraham, as Zacchaeus is identified here, by physical descent was central to both their identity and their security. And living out that identity through the law was functionally the way in which someone believed that they were saved. Certainly this perspective is accountered by Jesus in the Pharisees specifically, and others, though, throughout his ministry. And Jesus is consistently turning this presupposition on its head, turning it upside down. This happens just earlier, before Luke 19 and chapter 18, when Jesus tells a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector again. He, and it says here that Jesus also told this parable, starting in verse 9, to those 
who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, trusting their position as those that were righteous, and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this here tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down, the tax collector, to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Here are two Jewish men that Jesus speaks of, both with the opportunity to look themselves in the mirror and see their position, to presume upon that position as a son of Abraham by physical descent, and therefore to think even more greatly of their obedience. We see this in the story, the Pharisee standing by himself, it says. Isn't that striking? Standing by himself. He assumes that his position is what merits his, his, his place and his righteousness. And he first even describes his position in relation to others. He says the things that he's not by comparing himself to others, by even bolstering his position even more. And then he describes how he obeys the law. The tax collector, though, is standing far off, really with, the, with no presumption to even stand close to or before God. And he offers a confession and a demonstration of faithfulness in a holy God. Zacchaeus, likewise, did not presume just upon his own inherited position as a son of Abraham. Rather, Zacchaeus offers to Jesus a confession of faith by calling him Lord and a demonstration of faith by display of his obedience. So position is not unimportant. Let me make that clear too. But it's not position alone that secures a relationship and causes it to flourish. Zacchaeus responds to Jesus' pursuit with his own pursuit. And that is an example for us in our lives as disciples, that we would display faithfulness. So faithfulness, and that, by that I mean the outward expression of obedience in both our personal habits and as we live in relationship with others, is evidence for God working in us. And because it is God working in us, that's who we're faithful to. That's, kind of, that's important in that aspect of faithfulness. It's God working in us. Faithfulness is also a witness to our salvation. And to being a true, not just supposed, but a true son or daughter of Abraham. Faithfulness is us returning to God our lives. And it is rooted in the joy that we have been pursued by God. This is even joy that that Zacchaeus is described as having, that he receives Jesus joyfully. So what we see in God pursuing us and then us pursuing God, this is akin to the dialogical nature of the relationship that God has with his people. The author of Hebrews in chapter 8 Quoting the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah says this. This is, this is God speaking, the Lord speaking. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. That's the dialogical relationship that we have with God and his people. That God calls his people and we respond. That's how our worship, our reformed worship is structured here at Liberty. There's a call to worship, and then we sing in response. There's the word of God calling us to confession, and then we confess. There's the word of God preached, and then we respond by coming to the table. There's the gathered worship of God. God gathers us, and we respond by coming and then being sent back into the world. 
So love for God and a witness of salvation cannot truly happen without it being identified as faithfulness. And that faithfulness cannot presume upon position, but it must be one of pursuit. It's a, it's a, it's a proof of the, pursuit, of the pursuit. It's a response to God pursuing us. Zacchaeus demonstrated faithfulness by calling Jesus Lord. And he demonstrated faithfulness by displaying obedience, which is still very important. And he displayed it in how he reconciled with those who he wronged. His position was not enough, and he knew it. Rather, he pursued Jesus with faithfulness. So those are the two things that we see today in the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. First, that God pursues us. Then we pursue God. And now what we embrace, this is the application for our lives here at Liberty, that as we consider relational pursuit and the need not to presume upon position, but rather to pursue let us embrace that the example of Jesus and Zacchaeus helps us see that we now pursue others. Our pursuit of relationship should mirror the pattern that we've seen this far. God for us, us for God. And when we pursue others, we are working out in our flesh what it means to live in community with other disciples on a daily basis. It really is even a working out of our identity as a sheep of the good shepherd. So Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. Well, what does it look like for us to be part of the sheepfold now and to live in relationship with the other sheep that are around us that God also calls? We want this working out in our flesh to be a daily rhythm. Hence, relational pursuit as a rhythm of grace because God pursues us and we pursue God. This is the rhythm. Jesus frees us to love others. We see this, the rhythm, we see this as God pursuing us and pursuing God as a rhythm that we can now embrace in community. And the word pursuit was intentionally chosen because of its dynamic and active nature. And it's not a coincidence that my message today has repeated the word pursuit like a, a lot, right? Maybe somewhat ad nauseum. I get that. If you were to accuse me and say, Steve, you, you kind of use the word pursuit too much, I'd say, yeah, I probably did, and I probably meant to do that, right? Um, we, we need to recognize the value of pursuit in this rhythm. But as I said at the beginning, the nine rhythms of grace that them, themselves that our church has established, they're not arbitrary. They're rooted in God's word. And so the reason that we can embrace an overuse of the word pursuit is because we see an overuse of pursuit of God for us. And then we want to see an overuse of pursuit for us for God. That's what, that's what gives us a thriving life in relationship with God. That pursuit is always active and always dynamic. And we believe that real, genuine, gospel-centered and disciple-making relationships with each other are fueled by pursuit. So the application for us is this. To not have our relationships with each other presume upon position, just as they could have done with Jesus and, Jesus and Zacchaeus, but they didn't. That's the same thing for us, to not have our relationships presume upon position, but rather to be the product of pursuit. And that's not really a novel idea. That's not the first time. We're not the only, you know, as a church coming up with nine rhythms of grace, we're not, maybe the, we wouldn't offer that. We wouldn't write a book and say, we figured it out. First time in church history, we came up with the nine, right? There's other, there's other churches that have great models and great rhythms. There's even an organization, Nine Marks, right? We have nine, they have nine. Okay, so like there's other ways to do this, all right? But we want to see that the wisdom revealed to us in God's word is something that is functionally happening in our church community, in our church. And we're doing this through nine rhythms of grace. So where may we be presuming upon position in relationship with each other? And where do we need to instead enter into pursuit? This is the application that we should embrace in relational pursuit. One way that's necessary for identify is the belief held by our church elders and many others in leadership and others here at Liberty that our previous model and structure of home meetings 
was leading to a presumption of position. And even maybe more specifically, a presumption of structure and the position within that structure. That the structure of home meetings was, en- was, was enough to somehow cause relationship to occur. That's the presumption of position. Rather than relationship by pursuit happening within the home meeting structure. It was backwards. So it's not to say that there weren't true and deep and meaningful relationships happening between mature disciples here in our church. It absolutely was happening. And, and in the conversations that our elders have had and other leaders have had and going through the last, how long has it been? Months, if not close to a year now, really assessing deeply home meeting structure. So many conversations, examples of disciples making disciples, that's happening in the home meeting structure. But even more so it was found that there was a presumption of position in that structure, that relationships were not happening enough and instead, the home meeting structure was an obstacle to relational pursuit being the rhythm that was being naturally lived out by us here at Liberty. That might sound harsh, right? It might be hard for some of us to believe. But to any of us that would disagree with the suggestion that the structure of home meetings led to presumption, I would encourage us to recognize that pursuit in relationship is shown when the structure is removed. It didn't have to be the home meeting structure that was removed. It could be any structure. When that's removed, that's when a relational pursuit is shown or proved in that regard. So if any of us have found that our relationships with others have disappeared or lessened because the structure was removed or since the structure was removed, it might mean, it probably means, that presumption was ruling over pursuit. And I think we need to recognize that. We, need, we, we can't shy away from that. Even if it was happening in large scale for one person, but small scale for another, any way that that was happening, we need to search that out and see, was presumption ruling over pursuit? Is that why the relationship I had with my home meeting members isn't the same? It might be. It it probably is. We need to take an honest look at that. And more could be said about this. There may still be a philosophical disagreement as to what structures are best for a church, and that's, that's, that's something that we will always as a church want to engage well in. But regardless of that, regardless of that discussion and that dispute, and it doesn't have to be a dispute, even if it's just a discussion, let our church embrace what we're ultimately trying to do now as a community is that to mature in these rhythms of grace, regardless of any structure, that's what we want to be available to us, a maturity of growth in these rhythms of grace, regardless of any structure. So we used to say that there were two things that we'd want for anyone who would come to Liberty. Okay, Matt, would, Matt would say this from, from the pulpit a lot. We'd say in meetings, that the, if someone were to show up, we'd, what would we want for them? We'd want them to att- attend Sunday worship, to be here at this gathering. And two, we'd want them to join a home meeting. That's what we would say. We wouldn't stop there. There's much more that we would want. And we weren't presuming upon just show up, that works, just go to home meeting, that works. Right? But we'd say that those are the two things we want you to do and then go mature in those two ways. Now, we've removed the home meetings. Right? So now we would kind of say, one, show up to this gathering here. And two, Mature as a faithful disciple of Christ by changing the way that you live. That's what we wanted to have happen in home meetings. We didn't think it was happening. Now, what we want hasn't changed. Maturity as a disciple of Christ and changing the way that you live. And now, this summer, we're preaching through these nine rhythms as a tool to help us do that. So we've not, we actually have not removed all structure. We now have a different structure it's the way in which these rhythms are building structure, new structure into our lives as we live them out functionally. So think deeply 
and look back to see if you lived, lived, amount, lived with any amount of presumption in structure, presumption in home meetings as they used to exist, and see the need to grow in a rhythm of relational pursuit instead with one another. Here's one final example, and then I'll close, of where we may be presuming upon position in our relationships rather than entering into pursuit. That we would be presuming upon the promised grace of God. And here's what I mean. And hear this first, actually. There is no shortage of God's grace for those who God calls his own and for those who believe in him. There's none, no shortage. Please hear that. The Gospel of John tells us, for from his fullness, this being Jesus, we all have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 2 tells us that it is by grace that we have been saved. There's nothing wrong with the grace of God. And there's nothing, when I say wrong, there's nothing insufficient with the grace of God. And it should always be our confidence in any time of weakness or sin or struggle. But even still, we can presume upon the grace of God. We can, in immaturity, in our immaturity, or in immature moments, even as a mature disciple, take the grace of God for granted and presume our position as one saved and not pursue God. The Pharisees and others did this. Even the crowd with Zacchaeus, they did this. They presumed upon the grace of God in that their position was enough. And they presumed that they were sons of Abraham and that was enough. And we can presume upon the grace of God as one saved by grace through faith. So that even if we're saved, we can do this. We can still presume upon the grace of God. And this is why we must pursue God in faithfulness as did Zacchaeus to demonstrate that God is working in us and to grow in a love for God and his commands. And I would also offer this as an aside. As we assess and as you would go back and think, am I presuming upon the grace of God, the way in which you presume upon the grace of God will probably make you even more likely to presume upon the relationships that you have with others. So if you take for granted the position you have with God, you will not respond in faithfulness with enough joy that's being lived out in your life. And one of the ways in which that will suffer is the way in which you live in relationship with others. So here's what we can do. We can too easily fall into presumption by saying something like, I'm saved, they're saved, God's grace covers all, so does it really matter if we fill in the blank? Does it matter if we spend time with one another? Does it matter if we care for one another? We help one another. We encourage one another. We pray for one another. We forgive one another. We pursue one another. Does it matter? We can fall into presuming upon the grace of God that we don't pursue God with faithfulness and joy and that will suffer us in pursuing each other. And we will not think that it's important to look at each other as disciples of Christ, that we would make them more and more holy as we would want others to do for us as fellow disciples of Christ. The answer to that question of does it matter is yes, it does matter. And it matters because our position in grace is not one to be presumed. Our position in grace is enough. I think we do even just sing that this morning, your grace is enough, okay? But it's not to be presumed. Rather, our joy should fuel our pursuit. This is faithfulness. This is faithfulness toward God. This is faithfulness seen toward one another. And this is faithfulness seen with one another that we would pursue God together as a church here at Liberty. This is enjoying life together, living alongside fellow disciples of Christ who have joy that God pursued them, 
who respond to that pursuit with their own pursuit of God and demonstration of faithfulness and who pursue each other to do the same. Pray with me. Lord God, we praise you that you have no presumption for us being lost in sin and to death. Give us joy that your pursuit of us is enough. And give us joy that your pursuit leads us to faithfulness toward you. That we would pursue you. And that we would be a community of disciples that pursues each other to make each other holy disciples in your name. Amen.